What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Press Box. This is your host, Kyle Milligan. Excited to be back at it. Episode 3 here is called Bubble Time. An interesting, awesome, scary, and roller coaster ride of a week of baseball is under our belt. It's been wild. Astros are being thrown at. Marlins COVID-19 breakout. Mookie Betts signs a long-term deal with the L.A. Dodgers and plenty more. The NBA is what? Yes, it's back. Season tips off tonight with a huge doubleheader to get us started. Exciting show planned out. Plenty of guests to discuss and debate the latest. I want to remind you guys to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore the press box underscore. We're streaming all of our episodes now on Spotify. Let's not waste any more time here. Let's get things underway. There's so much to discuss in a little amount of time. Troy with me here. What's going on, Troy? Not much, man. I'm feeling good. Feeling great. All right. The NBA is back tonight, Thursday, the 30th of July. We kick off the restart with these two matchups. We got Jazz versus Pelicans, 6.30 p.m. ET on TNT, and Clippers versus Lakers, 9 p.m. ET, also on TNT, and the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida. Now, although we're about to see some great basketball, it's definitely going to be different. I think we all know that. The players will not only be focused on winning, but they have made it clear that the fight for social justice will not be forgotten, even if they are in a bubble. We have no fans, obviously, so home court advantage is taken away for the rest of the season, and these players have spent more time together than ever before, locked in and ready to go, because there's nowhere else to go. So, let's first make our kickoff game predictions. Tonight, the Jazz versus Pelicans is our first matchup. What do you got for me, Troy? I got the Jazz taking it. I don't see anyone on the Pelicans being able to stay in front of Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert should really dominate the glass and rack up blocks, especially if Zion being a game-time game, uh, game time decision, he might not play. Uh, I just think it all points to the Jazz taking it. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm actually taking the Jazz, too. I'm kind of disappointed that we both agree with this. I kind of wanted a little bit of an argument, but I'm taking the Jazz. This game's tough, though. There's a lot of young talent out there, which makes it pretty hard to predict anything. When you don't have too many vets, it's kind of like a throw in the air. But I believe the Jazz will win this game because they just have the chemistry advantage. I think they do have at least more vets than the Pelicans do. The Pelicans have kind of been inconsistent throughout the year. They should probably be a better team standing-wise. Obviously, they had Zion out in the beginning of the year. But then again, the bubble started and Zion wasn't in till late. So I think their chemistry is kind of – they might be a little bit behind the Jazz. I know Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are good now. I'd like to see them – Get back at it. I know it was a little rocky and shaky the way things ended there. So, But when you have a huge break like this, usually the more experienced team comes out on top. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Jazz, too. I, I think you can make an argument that the Pelicans do have more talent, though. It, it would be doubt. a tough argument to make, but at least more upside. They, they got some studs on that team. So yeah, they, they have a lot more potential and upcoming talent. I think Mike Conley is a big key for them. He has to play at a high level to help Donovan Mitchell and create for Gobert. I think that's a huge key. Let's move on to the Lakers versus Clippers. Who you got here, Troy? I got the Lakers. LeBron's definitely just going to be unguardable. He's coming into the season looking for blood. And yeah, he's got some some to prove that, along with Anthony Davis, who everyone knows is a force on the defensive end and a massive threat offensively. Plus, just watching the scrimmages, you see their bench is very deep. They got J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters, just to name a couple of guys, who played a lot better than I thought they were going to in the scrimmages, and hopefully that translates to actual games. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. They were playing really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think they combined for like 30-something in the last scrimmage, so that was pretty cool to watch. I'm taking the Lakers here once again because I think the chemistry is the biggest key when you have a, a wait this long. And honestly, the Lakers... I mean, ever since the season really started, they just clicked. I mean, you can see it in their bench. You can see it. Like, we just hear all around in the locker room. They are just, they are just really like the definition of a brotherhood. And it's really fun to watch them. They, 
they all love each other. It's really good to watch. I think the Clippers are missing Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell tonight, so that's a big key. Kawhi yeah. Leonard didn't look so good in these scrimmages. I think the Clippers got a lot to cover. I think the Clippers are a little bit behind the Lakers right now, but I don't expect them to be blown out or anything. I, I think it'll be a close game tonight, back and forth. You have guys that you haven't played in a while. This is going to be weird, and the Clippers versus Lakers is always going to give you showtime business, and it's just going to be a good game. There's no way it's going to be a blowout. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, Kawhi's been struggling out of the gate, though. What do you think about that? Do you think, are you scared, or the Clippers um, going to be uh, a little bit behind here, or what? I think the Clippers are definitely going to be behind, but I do think that at some point Kawhi's just going to get that click, and he's just going to start taking over. Yeah, right. I'm expecting them to be back at it by the time the playoffs start. I think the Clippers will be a real force and definitely be that one and two seed of the West and the most dominant teams there. So, definitely. but anyway, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. So we got, uh, what do we have for the biggest threat to the Bucks this year in the East? Uh, the 76ers. Their, their lineup is very versatile with a huge point guard in Ben Simmons, who is averaging just over 16 a game before the shutdown. And from what I've seen, he has gotten much better offensively just by watching little clips of him practicing and in the scrimmages. Him plus Joel Embiid, who was a proven force down low with the ability to step out and be able to play out on the perimeter. And you even look at a guy like Tobias Harris, who can be a lethal shooter when he gets hot. Harris and Simmons, in my opinion, have the ability to at least contain Giannis on the perimeter and really slow him down. And if he, when they do get beat, Joel can meet him at the rack. So the 76, in my opinion, have the best shot. I'm happy we have a little bit of a disagreement here because I am not going with the 76ers. I realize and I understand that they have the most talent outside of the Bucks. It might even have more talent than the Bucks. You can make an argument for that. However, I'm taking the Miami Heat. I think there's no doubt in my mind that they're the best team outside of the Bucks in the East. I think they're all around just force of habit. Their coach, Spolcher, is great. He's been there for years, experience. He's a champion. I love Jimmy Butler. He's a straight competitor. I think when you think of competing-wise and mentality-wise, I think he's the closest we have to that Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan mentality in the league, not saying he's anything of the player they were. I'm just saying that if if I have a guy that I'm going to go to battle with, I'll take Jimmy Butler over anyone. I mean, this guy this guy is just a straight competitor and leader, and he's taken this young team to a really, really good start, and I think he finishes strong. I think they're going to go right for the head of Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Miami Heat are a very big danger. Let's not forget now they have Andre Iguodala to go on that team, which is already they already got some vets that are looking good. They got Jay Crowder, another vet, and Bam out of out of bio, and he looks he looks great. I mean, an all star. I think this question's easy for me, honestly. I'll I'll take the Miami Heat over the 76ers. You got anything for me? I can respect that pick for sure. They definitely are one of the top teams. They're they're a top five team in the East. That's that's for sure. So I can I can really respect the, that pick. I just think the 76ers are just a little bit better talent wise. I agree. Yeah. I just I think this comes down to chemistry. I think being trapped in a bubble and taking this much time, the teams that have the most chemistry are going to be able to do it. And Miami Heat have more chemistry than the 76ers. I really do. I don't. I really don't. I'm one of those guys that doesn't really see Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons working out unless Ben Simmons creates an outside jumper or some sort of a, another play style. I don't think those two games really fit well with each other. Joel Embiid's a man to be inside, and I know he can play the outside and perimeter, but 
Joel Embiid is one of the most dominant centers in the league, and if he's, it's kind of taken away from him what Ben Simmons does, and that's and that's just be a boss in the paint. So uh, I'm interested to see. I think Tobias Harris is a stud. I think he'll be a very big key. But I, I really don't like the way Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's games compare. I think they honestly hurt each other rather than help. I get that. I I really just hope that the 76ers really like Ben Simmons is willing to be more of a point guard than a than a big. And it's taken him a lot of time just to be able to shoot from the outside. He's taken a couple, so Simmons, yeah. yeah, he's looking up right now. In my in my opinion, he's looking up. I'm not buying the three-point jump shot for Ben Simmons, but that that's a whole other story. I mean, it's just it's just terrifying. Anyway, let's move on. So Eastern Conference sleepers. So we have the teams that we think are going to compete with the Bucks and give them a run for their money. Who's our sleeper in the East? A sleeper in the East is definitely the Celtics. Uh, Celtics have a very, very young team, a young core who has a whole bunch of potential, Justin, Jason Tatum. They have a very good vet in Kemba Walker, as well as a very, very, very smart coach in Brad Stevens. Yeah, I, I think they have a lot of upside on their team. I, I, I'm not exactly going to call them my sleeper. I went with a little bit more of a fun pick. I went with the Indiana Pacers. I think they're also a very young, talented, defensive-minded team, coached very well. Aladipo, Brogdon, Devonis Sabonis. I think they're a really good team and start studded if Aladipo can perform the way We've seen him in the past. I think they can give those. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not going to go out here and say they're going to beat the Bucks. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm taking them as a sleeper. I'm taking them that they can upset the 76ers. They can upset the Miami Heat. I think they really could. They're, they're going to have to play their best, their absolute best. But I think with their absolute best, they can definitely give those teams a run for their money. Yeah, I think right. the one thing with the Pacers is that they really rely on the play of Victor Oladipo. And you got to remember, he's coming off a huge, huge knee injury. And we don't know how he's going to play after that. Right, they did last year, but let's Sabonis. Sabonis has been great this year, and also uh, you have Brogdon now, who's very good and experienced because he was with the Bucks. I think those are two big guys that can help them out, and not even to mention Miles Turner. I mean, Miles Turner is a stud, and he's gonna he's gonna be a force this playoff season. So we'll have to see. I think they can give them a run for their money. I think they match up really well with the Miami Heat, and I think they match up really well with the Sixers. So I'm excited to see. I like the pick of the Celtics. I wouldn't necessarily call them a sleeper. I think they're right at the top of that league behind the Bucks and Miami Heat, Raptors, and 76ers. I think they're right in that mix. However, I'm going to take a more fun team, the Pacers. All right, Troy, let's move on to the West here. Who do you got for the biggest West threat? And when I say West threat, I mean other than the Lakers and the Clippers. Who's the biggest threat to beat those two teams? I got the Nuggets. This team, from what I've seen, has the best shot to at least compete with the Lakers and Clippers. If uh, Nico and Jamal Murray play how they have in previous seasons or even get better than they once were, that's two all-star caliber players right there. That plus a very, very surprising play of Bol Bol in the scrimmages. If he can keep that up, then the Nuggets definitely have a great shot to at least compete with the two LA teams. Yeah, I respect that pick. I'm gonna actually take the Houston, or sorry, Astros. Yeah, no, screw the Houston Astros. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the Houston Rockets here. I really like the combination of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I didn't like it at first when I saw it on paper. I was like, this isn't gonna work. They both have the ball in their hands 90% of the time, but it honestly is working. Like, they have a really good squad. They have a really good coach to go along with it. They're an offensive power team. 
they're just going to chuck the ball up the floor and they're going to get running coast to coast. And I think that's how you can beat the Lakers. I think that's how you can beat the Clippers. And they have a lot of experience, but at the same time, experience is old news. And I don't know if any team in the West can really keep up with this Houston Rockets team uh, when it comes to transition basketball. So I'm really excited to see if Russell Westbrook can push the pace and James Harden can finally show up in the playoffs. I mean, we haven't really seen him go off yet in the playoffs like he does. We see a regular season game, 50 points. I mean, it seems normal for him. But when it comes to the playoffs, we we just end up seeing him losing year after year. And same thing with Russell Westbrook. He's had his shots with OKC against the Warriors. Harden has had his shots against the Warriors with Chris Paul. And it just hasn't hasn't worked out. So I think these two guys are two of the most hungriest players in the league. I think they have a great coach. And I think they have some very good threats to go along with them. And Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, Robert Covington, P.J. Tucker. I think they got some vets. So we'll have to see yeah. what happens. I'm picking the Houston Rockets. So. That's a that's a good pick. The one thing that I would say about the Rockets is that they, their very, very small lineup could definitely hurt them rebounding-wise. Like You can't get out and run if you don't get the rebound. It's very iffy with them. If they can actually put a body on someone and rebound and then push the tempo, that they ha- they're set. But if they yeah, don't and, and they just want to out jump out jump others, that's that's, that's very fair. iffy with them. Yeah, that's fair. I agree. They they could use some more big men, but with this one-two combo, I'm just talking offense in general. I think they'll be able to outscore a lot of teams. We'll have to see. I think yes, big man is very important in the league. However, it is it is less valuable now, so we'll have yeah. to see what happens. I think they're going to chuck a bunch of three balls up, and if they go in, they have a chance, so I'll take them. I do really like the Nuggets, though. I think they're a really good team, and I think them and the Houston Rockets are the two teams that can give the Clippers and the Lakers a run for their money, not to mention the Dallas Mavericks, who have a real chance, too. I just wanted to go with the Rockets here. We had some breaking news over the week. Lou Williams' guard for the L.A. Clippers was put into a 10-day quarantine due to his actions during an excused absence from the Orlando bubble. Williams was reportedly at a so-called gentleman's club, in in other words, a strip club, and states that he was just there for the wings. Williams tweeted, Ask any of my teammates what's my favorite restaurant in Atlanta is. Ain't nobody partying. Chill out. LOL. Troy, what's your reaction to this? Uh... Can't really again. You can't really help but chuckle at this, but it it was an excused absence for sure. But you're supposed to be there with your family. You don't go out and just go wherever as you please. You go be with your family, then you get right back to the bubble. That's that's how it is. You you by doing by going out, you really put every single person within that family, and when you get back to the bubble, at risk. So you really yeah. just working smart. Yeah, I hate to put my Karen hat on, but I guess at the, I guess yeah, don't. This is just stupid, honestly. It's just stupid. So it, you go you go out into the bubble, out of the bubble. Sorry, you have an excused absence. You attend the family stuff. I mean, that's serious business. As a vet, I mean, you should know not to show up to a strip club. I mean, dude, you're a millionaire with a Clippers mask on. You're gonna get caught, dude. And there's there's no way around this. It's just kind of a sucky situation. Especially sucks for the Clippers now. But yeah, you're putting people at risk because of this. Get your wings. Get them for takeout. It's honestly a stupid situation. Should even have to be brought up because uh, he's a he's a vet in this league, long time vet. Yeah, he made a mistake. So what? Let's move on. Get him quarantined and get him back to basketball. That's the only reaction I have to this. So. All right, there's not much else we can do other than predictions and stuff for the NBA. So the NBA bubble is back tonight. We're really excited. We're going to have a lot to talk about about the NBA next episode when we have games to work off, stats to work off. Troy, thank you. No problem. 
All right, we got enough time to take one call here. This is Russell Phoenix from Goes New York. Hey, Kyle. Russell here. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, as you know, I'm a big Milwaukee Bucks fan. Uh, in regards to this upcoming playoffs, what do you think they have to do to ensure that they make a deep playoff run and are able to make the finals this year and hopefully increase their chance of keeping Giannis? Thanks. Yeah, no problem, Russ. Thank you for calling. First of all, I want to say what you guys have to do to ensure a finals appearance for the Bucks. I think Giannis will have to sustain an MVP level of play. I think that's a no-brainer. He's an MVP all year. Has to be an MVP in the playoffs. Show up or go home. Chris Middleton has to average 20. That's another one of my things. I think Chris Middleton has to average 20 points. I think without him being that second guy from the perimeter and defending, I think he has to be good on both sides of the floor, but I think the biggest thing is that he has to average 20, has to help Giannis out with scoring. Budenholzer has to stay genius, which I know he will do. He'll come up with the right plays. He'll do the right thing. He had some questionable things last postseason. I think he'll be good this year. He's ready to go. You guys are 54-12. and 12. You guys are a proven team. Go out there and just show what you've been showing all regular season. Just do it in the playoffs. Nothing changes. Find out how to guard Embiid and Bam out of bio. I think those are two really big things. you got to find a way how to guard those big men. Because I'm not sure if Robin Lopez or Brooke Lopez can do that. So you got to find someone, even if it's Giannis, you got to find someone to put the two guys on those two bodies because the 76ers and Miami Heat will have that inside big man advantage. So you guys got to find a way to go around that. In terms of Giannis resigning next year, I think what you need is a finals appearance. You need help from teammates, which I think he will receive. So as long as you have a finals appearance and help from his teammates, I think the only thing that Giannis can do is blame himself if you don't guys, if you guys don't win the finals this year. So that's my answer for you, Russ. As long as you make that final, as long as he gets help from his teammates, the only guy he'll be able to blame is himself. All right, before we move on to baseball, I don't want to fail to mention that the Knicks are now, in my opinion, one step closer to being relevant by hiring Tom Thibodeau, New York's 31st head coach in franchise history. Moving on to baseball, what a crazy first week of MLB action filled with entertainment, benches clearing, suspensions, positive COVID-19 tests, another mega contract for a super team, and the unwritten rules of baseball in full effect. So much to talk about with just a week under our belt. First, let's discuss... COVID-19 scares. So on Sunday, the Marlins initially had four players test positive, reported most likely occurred on their road trip to Atlanta, then played their weekend in Philly. Then seven more players and two coaches tested positive, and now there's at least 13 cases total with the clubhouse. Then everyone was interested and curious on how there was this huge outbreak, including Joe Madden and the Yankees, Phillies, and Orioles. Marlins matchups were both canceled. Then Monday, a confirmed 17 cases within the clubhouse were positive. Marlins games were then canceled through at least this Sunday. MLB made this statement Tuesday. Since the past Friday, there's been conducted over 6,400 tests, and there have been no positive COVID-19 tests from any other team besides the Miami Marlins. And then finally yesterday, one more player on the Marlins tested positive, and in, within the last few minutes, actually, there was just... Philadelphia's staff, there's a few people on their staff that have tested positive for COVID-19. That happened like five minutes ago. So with me now is Coach Cater and Cody. Welcome aboard, guys. Excited to hear from both of you. First off, I'll start with you, Cody. What is your reaction to all the Marlins' positive tests? First off, thanks for having me on, Kyle. Of course. Honestly, my first thoughts of it was this is, I think it directly stems from Manfred. And I think it's weird to say, but I think it has something to do with along with the Astros uh, scandal. I think the minute that he did not 
properly come down on them and kind of give them the proper punishment. I think he lost a lot of respect throughout the league. And so now players are kind of just not really abiding by what they need to do because they're not really afraid of what Manfred's going to say or do. They're just going to kind of be like, yeah, whatever guy, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But um, it's interesting because it's like you said, as the we're said to have contracted it in Atlanta and that's the same place. Lou Williams uh, went out and did his, his thing. Yeah. So the I'm just, book. Yeah, I believe somebody called it a uh, performing arts center around here. <laughs> as long as it can be contained to the one team, Florida's a hot spot right now, so that kind of is all right. If it was a state that wasn't necessarily a hot spot, I'd probably be a little bit concerned, but considering it was a hot spot state, it's only contained to the one team so far, and then a couple staffers on the Philadelphia squad. Um, I'm not really all that worried about it. I just hope that MLB can kind of push through it. Well, I'm not surprised that it happened. I think eventually, you know, in, in the state of where we are, it was eventually it was bound to happen to some team. And in order to be smart for this season to work, you know, the players have to take it upon themselves to do the right thing. You know, I think anybody going into the season knew that some team was going to get affected by it. And it seems to be one team now possibly spreading to the Phillies organization. You know, do the right thing. You know, if you want the season to go off, you, you've got to do – you have to follow certain protocols to make sure that you're doing, you know, obviously you're sanitizing, your hands are washed, and you're not doing things and going out in public where you can subject yourselves to bringing it in to the clubhouse where, you know, it spreads very quickly, obviously. You know, is it a concern? Yeah, a little bit, but. I uh, agree with you, with bo- with the both of you. Cody, you made a really good point there saying that a lot of players in the league have lost a lot of respect since the Astros scan- cheating scandal. That was a big mess, and uh, me, like many others, I, I have a lot of questions, honestly. And yes, the Karen questions—you know, were they following all the protocols? You know, large amount of positives, not as competitive of a team. You know, are they are they not as worried about this season rather than just you know building up and just gaining chemistry for the next upcoming years? They don't have a lot to work for this year. I don't think they're chasing a World Series or anything, even in a 60-game season. But, yeah, I, I don't think a lot of the players in the league respect Rob Manfred at all, especially when a guy's calling it a piece of metal, uh, the thing that they've worked all their life for to compete for. And when a commissioner calls a trophy just a piece of metal, I think that can build a very negative reaction from players along the league. And, like I said, they don't, they're not as much to lose. They're young. They have a they might have a lack of responsibility, but I, I'm not too worried about it. It's, it's within the Marlins. I hope – we can contain it and just move on. Honestly, I'd be fine with them getting completely banned from the league. I don't really need them around this year. So, <laughs> so that's that. How high are your concerns, Cody? Not only concerning the Marlins, but the rest of the league now that we have seen this first clubhouse breakout. Because, well, honestly, because of the whole Manfred factor, I'm I'm worried because of that. Because I don't think that. To be honest, I don't think his priorities at all this year have been about COVID. I don't think he's really put the necessary time in or the work in because, honestly, I think he's way too concerned with the collective bargaining agreement that's coming up. And I I really think that's where his entire focus has been. And now I think he's kind of in the hot seat where it's like, well, crap, all these Marlins players just tested positive. I didn't think this was going to happen. And now we're going to have to see how his reactionary skills are, I guess, because he wasn't really proactive and that's kind of the part that concerns me is I, I've never really seen Manfred in a reactionary spot other than the Astros thing. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm concerned because of the commissioner of the baseball, uh, because of the commissioner of major league baseball. But like dad said, it comes down to the players wanting to do their thing too. I mean, if you want to go out and play baseball and play a game that you love and get paid for it, I mean, 
you got to do what you need to do. And if you're not doing those things, then I guess ultimately it comes down to the players' decisions too. I mean, I'm concerned just because. <clears throat> well, I mean, there's a for me, it's a, there's a moderate level of you know concern simply because of the rate it spreads and how fast it does. I know the the numbers are what they are, and depending on who you listen to. You know, the numbers can be either pro or con. You know, the virus is legit. You know, obviously, you know, over 100,000 people have lost their lives to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to take into consideration families and people who have, you know, the, the health issues that may not be, you know, affected where, you know, the individual who's asymptomatic gives it to somebody who has a problem with it. I mean, again, I think if they're doing the right thing and they're trying to be serious about having this season play 60 games, then they need to do what's best for the organization and try to minimize what they do outside of the, the diamond out of the clubhouse yeah. and, and do the right thing by not necessarily staying home, but avoiding places that you don't need to be. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I got of, you. You don't need to be a Lou Williams again, doing the right thing. We should be prepared for it. And that's why we have a 30 man roster right now. Go ahead, Cody. Uh, the one thing that I was just thinking too when you were going on that, Dad, was that um, if you look at the professional sports leagues across the major four, I mean, the most international sport out of all of them would be baseball or and hockey, probably the close second with all the Canadians and Russians and whatnot coming over. But I mean, you've got all these international guys and who knows who's going where and whatnot and everything, and the cultures are all different. So it's like, I mean, some guys might not be taking it as seriously because it's not as serious in their country and whatnot, and it's kind of just like. I guess the international aspect of it, it might be a little bit difficult for guys too because it's everybody from different cultures and it's like, well, this isn't really a big deal home. It's a big deal in the United States, so you have to treat it as such because you're in the United States right, right now playing baseball. Yeah, there's that, that's another reason of concern. And, and I am honestly pretty concerned about this just because not, not as much for the Marlins, but as much for the teams that are trying to compete for a title. I mean, this means a lot to a lot of guys. There's a lot of vets out there that don't have much time left. Like, for example – Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer, they're trying to win this year. They're trying to win now. So are the Yankees. So are the Astros and teams like that. So I think once a young team like the Marlins messes up like this, because to me it's a mess up. If you have 17 positive cases, then there was something that you were doing wrong and within the organization. And if the testing, it, it has been moved to every single day, I have a very good feel, gut feeling that they were playing games with positive tests already, already uh, handed out. So that that's a problem for me. Let's hope that it stays within that uh, clubhouse and they can all be healthy and come out of this and we can move on. Now, the question is, for in the Manfred perspective, was this situation handled correctly and where do we go from here, Cody? I mean, I've already talked about Manfred a lot, I guess. So. <laughs> I don't think it was because, like I said earlier, is I think his focus this entire offseason and up to this point was trying to get a collective bargaining agreement done before this season because after this season it's going to be – I think the players will have a little bit more control after this season and whatnot, but – I mean, it's it's difficult to see right now because I think that, like I said, Manfred is just being completely reactionary. I don't think he had any precautions put in place and, like, what if this happens, what if this happens? Because, I mean, it seems like if something happens in the NFL or the NBA or the WNBA or something like that, and the commissioner or somebody's coming out with a statement right like that, and, I mean, Manfred seems to be like he's kind of dragging his feet, like just waiting for somebody else to pick it up or, like, Tony Clark or something, like he wants him to say something, and it's like, you're the commissioner of Major League Baseball, man. You got to take this by the horns, and you got to command respect from around the league. And it's difficult. It's, it's tough to see him in such a reactionary position. Yeah, Cater, how do you think this situation was handled? In regards to how they handled the, the game side of it, I think they did the, the proper thing. 
in suspending time to give the opportunity to people get in there and cleanse to clean both clubhouses so that there are you're getting this early for the lack of a better term even though you really didn't because again somebody like we alluded to earlier somebody did something wrong and that's why it spread through the, the clubhouse like it did and in order for you to get that and for them to continue to play they ne- need to make sure that everybody's safe there the, the club's coming in the fit you know the, the management suspending the games was necessary you know i don't know how they're going to make them up or if they're even going to continue to try to do that but again i have right. to think that they had a plan they just might not have the best plan yeah i i also think that suspending the games and adjusting the schedule was the right thing to do you had to do that and you had to act on that quickly so in terms of suspending the games and adjusting the schedule, I think Manfred did a good job there. However, in terms of preparation for this season, I mean, you can never be fully prepared for a virus. But in terms of what he could have done to take more precautions, I, I don't think I don't think the league is in good hands right now at all. There is leagues with better commissioners, and unfortunately, a, a league that is struggling to get their foot out of the ground is not being led by someone of trust trustworthiness honestly yeah that that's that's really all i have on that so now on to the more competitive baseball side of things the la dodgers signed superstar outfielder mookie betts to a 12-year 356 million dollar contract second longest contract in baseball based on deferred payments the dodgers will pay him till 2044 when he will be 52 years old Cody, is this a good deal for the Dodgers? To uh, touch on the last aspect of it, the Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla, so, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I do think it's a good deal for the Dodgers because they're in a win-now mode, and they gave up a 23-year-old in Verdugo to get a top-three player in baseball. I mean, it's it's tough to argue with the Dodgers' outfield being the best in Major League Baseball now between Bellinger and Mookie. Mm. So, I mean, especially, too, with Bellinger being a power lefty bat, you're going to go – Mookie Bellinger back-to-back in the lineup. is That's not easy for a whole lot of pitchers, no matter who you are. I think that was really the basis upon the move is they want to win now and they want to win a couple more times in the next three to five years, and they think Mookie will be that guy that kind of pushes them over. And exactly, I think yeah. it was a good move for them. It was an interesting move, I think, because they went lineup, considering that you mentioned Kershaw's getting older and he's trying to win now and whatnot. I figured maybe, yeah, they have Walker Bueller coming up to be their next ace, but Urias, too, I, I, I think they might – have wanted to get a little bit of pitching depth outside of Price, maybe somebody younger, maybe a younger prospect that they can bring up in the next two or three years. But I think they would have loved. Now. I think they would have loved Garrett Cole, and I think that's. I think. Oh yeah. It because they missed on him, they had to lock up someone, and Mookie Betts yep. it is, I guess. Cater, what do you got? Is this a good deal? Absolutely, a great deal for the Dodgers. How could you not like think it is? You're getting a top three player in baseball. Realistically, could be potentially entering his prime. He's 27 years old. He doesn't turn 28 until October. So you're paying him until he's 40. You can get a first six, seven years of very productive baseball. Keeps yep. your championship window open for a half of a decade, maybe longer, depending on how their farm system is loaded with um, position players. You know, you, you, like Cody alluded to, you have Walker Bueller in the, the rotation, uh, Urias in the rotation. You have uh, the May kid who's come up and filled in for Kershaw that they love, who's got a power arm from the right side. Yep. Uh, absolutely a champ, a great move, a championship move. They're the most talented team in the National League, and uh, you could argue they're probably the most, they could be the most talented team in baseball, right there with the Yankees right. and the Astros and the, you know, yep. a couple other clubs there. But first six, seven years of this contract, absolutely keeps them in the World Series discussion every year, health wise. 
Yeah, so we all agree that this is not a good deal for the Dodgers. This is a great deal. And what what they did here was pretty much lock a player up. Yes, it is a 12-year deal. However, what they're doing is they're not worrying about that 8 to 12 year. Yes, it might suck. They might have to be paying him a back end, back-loaded contract. But, however, they're worried about right now. And what they can do right now is they still have four to five years before they even have to sign Bellinger and Bueller. So, what they're going to do is they're going to compete right now. They're paying bets, and that's really all they're paying. They're, they're, only, they're not paying guys really past 2022, I think it is. So Mookie Betts is really their own long-term investment here until Corey Seager's a free agent. I think he's their closest free agent. So they don't have many guys to pay. Got to pay Mookie Betts. He's at, he's a, you got two MVPs on your team now with one of the best pitchers in baseball. So they're definitely trying to win now, and they made a statement that they're not going anywhere in the – long term either so the Dodgers realized that they were going to try and do this and they just didn't really care through the checkbook at Mookie and said whatever you got to stay dude just yep. write down the number so where does Mookie Betts rank for you guys amongst the hitters in the MLB I'd say he's a top three player hitter two player overall I, I mean for me the only people that I can say I think are above him I mean Trout obviously and I question people that would put Trout in there but I'd say the only people that I can consider 100% better than him as a baseball player, as a hitter, Mike Trout and Nolan Arenado. I mean, if if that's the only people that you got above you, then you're doing something right. <laughs> Absolutely top two hitters in baseball, or three at the lowest, if you want to rank it that way. He's just productive from the field in, in, in the, at bat. He's, he's an on-base machine. He scores a ton of runs. You know, he's a, I think he's a career 300 hitter. Good power. Not exceptional power, but Listen, I'm glad he's out of Boston as a Yankee fan. Without Same. You know, yeah. you know, without Same a doubt, here. by far their best player and definitely a top three player in the league. Him, yep. Trout, Arenado. I think he's a step ahead of Yelich. I do too, yeah, because of his fielding. Yeah, Hitt- just, hitting wise, they're pretty close, but absolutely, uh, Mookie Betts fielding puts him over Yelich. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think the only guy you can really say is a better all around player is Mike Trout. To be to be quite honest with you, so I, I think Mookie Betts is a great lockup. I wish I wish honestly uh, Aaron Judge had more some of the qualities that Mookie Betts had, but they're two c- completely different players. I mean, Judge is more of a power guy, and Mookie Betts is can give you power, but he's also going to give you speed and in contact. And I I, I just he puts the ball in play almost all the time. Doesn't strike out a lot. Is a great in the locker room. Good guy to be around. Seems like it. So he, they got him for the next, and he'll, he'll be a top three baseball player until at least halfway through that contract. So seeing this full week of first full week of baseball, what has been your biggest takeaway, whether it's player, team, or league wise for the MLB, Cody? Oh, the biggest takeaway so far, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say the pitching because it's been. Interesting, I think, because as a baseball guy, as a baseball guy, Kyle, sorry about that. <laughs> you understand is, I mean, baseball players are extremely superstitious and extremely superstitious and extremely routine oriented. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing so far as I've seen is I've seen some pitchers go out there and they, it seems like they're not really in their normal zone because they're not used to the quiet of the park or they're not used to them not having any fan noise and they're not getting that adrenaline going. I know I've heard a couple guys mention that so far where they're like, you really feed off the crowd energy and now you don't have it. You got to try and figure out new ways to keep yourself in the game and keep yourself going. It's, I mean, it's like flashing back to high school for these guys. I mean, they've had, they've been playing in front of probably 10,000 plus for the last minimum. I'd say for the last some odd years. Um, so I guess I'd say the pitching because it's been kind of interesting. You'll have those guys like 
Zach Plezak will go out and dominate Chicago last night for like 11 Ks and through eight innings. And then you got Walker Bueller who went three and a third. I mean, he didn't pitch bad, his pitch count and whatnot and everything like that. But I mean, yeah. Walker Bueller went three and a third and it's been really interesting. I think that the big thing is that if there's a, a pitching staff that can kind of get in a zone and get through this whole silence of no crowd noise or anything like that, I think that's the team that's really going to start getting rolling and getting going because once your pitchers get in the zone like that, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough to get a guy out. Like it's tough to get to a guy like that. <laughs> yeah. What's your biggest takeaway, Cater? Uh, my biggest takeaway is I guess the quickness that teams are going to their bullpen. I mean, I know it's in a, in a shortened season. I'm surprised that some of the starters aren't going longer than, than I had anticipated they would early in the season, but um, definitely the pitching's been pretty impressive the first week. Some of the outings that some of the guys have had through their second time around has been like Sonny Gray for them for Degrom his usual self, um, and some of the pitchers that are pitching well who haven't pitched as well as they could, like we had talked earlier, Kyle with Garrett Cole two and zero with a three point zero nine ERA, he's got more K's than innings, and I don't think you know you and I both alluded to it. We don't think he's touched his best stuff yet, so. But uh, the pitching has been, you know, pretty much on point, and that kind of, like, is the emphasis for me. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is actually just how different this season is than the, than the rest. And it's pretty self-explanatory, but honestly, this season, it seems like a tournament. Like, it's, it seems like every week we get a tournament. I mean, just, like, with the cancel of games, like, Garrett Cole gets pushed up two games just because, you know, we had COVID-19. So, we're, like like I said in the beginning, Cater, where I think I want 15 starts from him rather than, you, you know, I, I want 150 innings. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm so like your best I, guy on the mound. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's like a tournament kind of. You know, you're going to see different lineups. You're going to see matchups. You're going to you're going to see the best of the best always playing just because of the amount of games that we're shortened into. And you know, James Paxson craps the bed, gets pulled right right in the first. I mean, that was or the second inning. That was. It's kind of like all right, let's move on. That there's no way that would have happened. You know, and in April of 2019, I mean, Boone probably would have made him get through it or something, or at least brought in another starter. But we're going right to the bullpen, and we're going to try to win this game. It's it's like a it's honestly fun. It's different, and the managers definitely have to adjust just as much as the players. So that's pretty fun to watch. Before you guys go, I want to play a quick game called Buy It, Hold It, Sell It. So respond by it if you love the stats, love what you've seen from these players. Hold it if you're unsure yet. You don't really want to buy into it, but you don't want to sell it. And sell it if you're not convinced or you don't like it. All right, so Garrett Cole starts out the season 2-0, 3.09 ERA, 11.2 innings pitched, 12 strikeouts, and a whip of 0.69. Now, we've seen his – we've watched him play. What are we thinking for Garrett Cole, Cody? I want to say buy it just because, I mean, he, he hasn't pitched bad, but, like, we've – been saying almost this whole time is it seems like is he hasn't come close to the Garrett Cole that he was last year in the last stretch of the season and I mean what did he go I think it was like nine straight starts punching ten straight ten people out or more and yeah the I mean, stats I, that you see every day when he pitches are ridiculous like he hasn't well, lost a, yesterday was the first time he gave up more than one run in a road game in like 24 games or something I mean that's ridiculous mm-hmm. And you got like a lot of Yankee fans too that'll sit there and see that it was against Baltimore and they'll start going all this, that, and the other thing. What are we giving him all this money for if he's going to pitch like that against Baltimore? What's he <laughs> going to pitch like against the Dodgers? And it's like, I'm, I'm being a realistic Yankee fan sitting here going, guys, he's going to be fine. He's still just working his way into the season. This is essentially his first two starts of the season. Like he's back in April and you don't really see a whole lot of guys just coming out and just dominating an entire 30 game 
start schedule or whatnot. I mean, I know he's not going to hit that number this year, but, I mean, he's going to get in his groove, and when he gets in his groove, it's going to be lights out for everybody. It's going to be really fun to watch as a Yankee fan. What do you got, Cater? Buy it, hold it, or sell it? Buy it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, listen, we, like, he's going to get a little more comfortable. He looks like he's struggled a little bit with his command in a couple of spots here and there. But once he gets it revved up and starts going, you got to buy it. I mean, listen, he hasn't even scratched this as good as he's going to be. And listen, buy it. He'll be in a, he'll be under three <laughs> by the year. Uh, yeah. The punch outs he has, you know, he's going to pitch in big games. He's nowhere yeah, on my end. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I, I, I thought it was so fun watching his first two starts. It's, you kind of sit there and you kind of take it for granted that you get a commercial break every 10 seconds. So it, he, it was, he was really fun to watch. We haven't seen the best of his stuff yet. And against the Orioles, like you said, people are going to say what they want, but I don't, if you guys see it in his first start, I think he had like 13 straight fastballs. Like this guy's attacking. <laughs> you're going to, you're yep. going to beat. You're gonna beat him or you're not gonna beat him, and most time it's gonna be you're not gonna beat him. So he's just coming at you. Yeah. He's he's in he's in the pinstripes and he's loving it. So that's the biggest thing for me too. Is, is I mean he grew up as a Yankee fan his entire life, and now he's wearing that Yankee jersey. Anybody in their first couple times are gonna be like I'm standing on the hill going I'm living my childhood dream right now and get the jitters and whatnot. And, I mean the first two starts he didn't really look jittered at all. He looked like he was settled in and he was looking like he looked like he was like all right no I. Knew I was going to be here. I've envisioned this for the past 15 years, and now I'm going to go out and do what I do. And it is really fun to, like you said, Kyle, with the 13 straight fastballs, it is really fun to watch that because he's just going to sit there and look at you and you say, you know what, here's my best stuff. I know I'm better than you. Try and hit it. Yep, compete. He's a, he's a competitor, and it's cool to see. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday in the game, he, right after that first inning, he was really frustrated, went over and talked to Gary. He looked like Gary was either setting up in the wrong spot or he was just missing his spots. I'm not sure what he was exactly frustrated with, but he's a, he's a competitor, and he's gonna, he's gonna let you know if he doesn't like something, and it's communication that we're not really accustomed to seeing because we don't have guys that speak the same language in our dugout. So Gary Cole's nice to have. Anyway, Giancarlo Stanton, 12 at bats, 417 average, two home runs, five RBIs, and a 1.533 OPS. What are you, what are you saying here, Cody? <laughs> I'm gonna buy it, but not to that degree. <laughs> he's I, he's not going to finish over 400. I mean, if we're going to have a season where somebody is going to push for the 400 mark at Ted Williams, I think it'd be this one at 60 games. But I don't think that G is going to do it because he's he's not really your average your hitter for average. He'll hit somewhere in the 270s, 280s. But the thing that I love right now is that he looks healthy. He just mm. he looks healthy when he swings the bat. He doesn't really grimace. He doesn't really have these faces where he's kind of like ah oh, that that felt a little weird or whatnot. This kind of thing he's the swings that he are, is taking are clean, quick path to the baseball. Uh, I know a lot of the Yankee announcers have said that he's trimmed up a lot this season, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Like, you see Syndergaard going out and lifting all these weights and then pulling all these muscles. I mean, I think G really <laughs> took uh, an off-season stance to try and maybe work on his flexibility and work on his range of motion as compared to just trying to get stronger. Because, I mean, the guy's a mammoth as it is. If he hits the ball, it's, it's going to go a long way. So I, I'm, I'm going to buy it because I think – and I think, and I hope, I really hope that he's going to stay healthy all season. And if he stays healthy, I mean, he hit 59 bombs in Miami in a full healthy season. So, I mean, it's just the small dimensions that Yankee Stadium provide. If he stays healthy this year, I'm going to buy that, and he's going to hit a lot of missiles. Cater, what do you got? I'm going to hold it just simply because I know it's he can't sustain the the, the average. Um, listen, the, the big thing with, with Stanton is his health. If, if he's healthy and he's in the lineup every day, his numbers are going to be there. It's going to lengthen the Yankee lineup. 
you know what you're going to get out of him if he's healthy. The question have been that from him in the last couple of years has been his health. When he's healthy, mm-hmm. 38, 38 jacks his first year, 112 ribs, hit 278 or somewhere in that range. So, you know, because you, you can't, he can't sustain the average, but the power will be there if he's in the lineup. If he's in the lineup, he produces. So that's the only reason I hold it because it's just the unsure of the, the average. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually going to buy this because I, I, I think a lot of Yankee fans, I mean, we're harsh on everyone, but I think Stanton hasn't really showed us, like, any doubt. I mean, in his first year as a Yankee, he had a really good season. I mean, it wasn't an MVP season, but it was good. I think it was, like, 270 with 40-some dingers, maybe high 30s. I'm not really positive, but he had a good season. And then last year, he just wasn't healthy. So I'm hoping we get if we get a healthy stand, we're going to get a good stand, and we're going to get what we expect. So... So I, I think, think his mental it, fortitude is ready. Like when, right. from last year, he started with the Yanks. I think his first five at bats, he whiffed and struck out each single one of them, and then came back. I think the third game after that, and hit a missile, and then hit a double in the gap. I mean, so I think his first year transitioning into pinstripes, you're a Yankee. The spotlight's on you. You're not going to escape anything. And so I think his mental fortitude, fortitude maybe this year is a little bit better, and he's a little bit locked in, and he's like, okay, you know what? I don't have to go out and hit a home run every single game. I just got to do something. Yeah, I think without fans, too, will help him a little bit. Get him a season without fans before he steps into the Bronx again and gets ready for that. That might have been something to do with it. We're going to go Sonny Gray, 2-0, 0.71 ERA, 12.2, sorry, 20 strikeouts, 0.55 whip. What do you got for me here on Sonny Gray, <laughs> former Yankee? I'm going to hold it because I think that he has a good opportunity playing nothing but central teams. I mean, he's going to get a lot of games against the Pirates, I think. He's going to get a lot of games against the Royals, the Tigers. I mean, these teams that aren't really ready to compete whatsoever. And I think that definitely helps him, that he kind of has a a weaker schedule, I guess I'd say, than some other MLB teams. But it's still difficult for me to say. I mean, he pitched really well last year. He proved that he was their ace last year. He was a sub-3 ERA and the thing for him was, I mean, like I said about Stan, the mental fortitude. I mean, you get out of New York and you don't have that spotlight on you anymore, and you're in a place like Cincinnati where you're just loosey-goosey, go out and do what you need to do. And I think that really helps him because he didn't transition from a hitter's park to a pitcher's park. I mean, Cincinnati is still a hitter's park, so it's. Yeah. I think there's something that changed in his mental fortitude, and I think if he can continue keep going that, then he's definitely worth to have. But I'm going to hold it just because I'm not really positive because as a Yankee fan, I've I've seen the – the bad Sonny Gray, and when Sonny Gray is bad, he is very bad. Cater, <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? I'm going to buy it for a couple couple of reasons. One of them is, um, you know, how, how he pitched last year, his first year in Cincinnati, like Cody had alluded to. You know, that's that's a pitcher's ballpark. He had 11 wins. He had over 200 Ks in less than 180 innings. Um, you know, he had a sub-3 ARA. Um, a lot of that has to do with uh, his reunited with his college coach, uh, Derek Johnson. He's the pitching coach now in Cincinnati. You know, they're changing his philosophy a little bit. When he went from Oakland to the Yankees, he didn't throw his curveball as much with New York as he did with Oakland. They wanted him to throw a little more of a slider, and he didn't, wasn't comfortable. And New York, we all know New York's a different animal than Oakland or Cincinnati. We know that. But since he's gone back to Cincinnati, he's throwing his curveball more, and his, the results are there. I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain this current pace, but to think that he could match last year's number in an abbreviated schedule, I would buy. Yeah, Sonny, Sonny Gray is a really good pitcher, and New York didn't work for him. It sucked for us, but for him, he's in a better spot now, and I'm, I'm going to hold it just because it's a .71 ERA, but I think I think he can have a good ERA. I think he's a stud 
and he'll he'll get it going. He he's like like uh, you said, Cody. He's got an easier schedule. He'll be able to figure things out. You know, get another year under his belt in Cincinnati. He's gonna pitch good. Lastly, we're going to get much deeper into this later on in the show, but I'm interested to hear your reactions as Yankee fans to Joe Kelly throwing at the Astros and the eight-game suspension given by Rob Manfred. First, what do we make of the whole situation, Joe Kelly throwing at the Astros, before we even get into Rob Manfred, Cody? Well, I mean, there's two things that I got about it. Is the one is Joe Kelly pretty much already said it. Is like if Manfred's not going to do anything, the players are going to police themselves. And that's kind of how baseball's always been, is the players go out and police themselves. Um, 96 at the head? I don't know about that. The rib cage? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Drill him in the rib cage. But 96 at the head, you're not really messing with just sending a message there, you're messing with people's livelihoods and their lives, and it's kind of, Joe Kelly has a history of this. I mean, as a Yankee fan, I remember him plunking Tyler Austin and then that brawl at the mound, but yep. that played into the decision Rob Manfred said, but the thing that kind of grabs me the wrong way is, I mean, he got an eight-game suspension, and if you take that to 162 games, he's missing 22 to 24 games as a relief pitcher, and it's, as a relief yeah. pitcher, that's going to be tough. Uh, I have no problem with Joe Kelly throwing at Houston, none whatsoever. At the head, that that's another story. You know, you throw 96, which a lot of guys do coming out of the bullpen. Um, you know, you you don't throw at somebody's head. You, you can rib cage them. You can elbow. You can hit them in the rib, uh, the elbow, the backside, square. You can put one right between the middle of their back. Throwing 96 at somebody's head, and that, that that's a little bit too outside the box for me. I have no problem with them throwing at him. And listen, Houston had to think that was happening anyways. Did they right. think that, you know, it wasn't going to happen, that people weren't going to throw at them, considering how everything played out and how unhappy a lot of people were with uh, with the outcome of that? Because a lot of people looked at, oh, that was a slap on the wrist. What did they get? The players got nothing. You know, who right. took the fall for that? A.J. Hinch and the general manager. From a lot of players' perspective, there was no – accountability for what they did right so you know you're gonna get hit with 95 you better prepare <laughs> I mean, well i think everybody wants a piece of them and you know joe kelly throwing at him well wasn't he part of the red sox team that lost to houston yeah you know so i just mean again him, I think. well yeah you know but i'm saying okay, so he got hit twice with that scandal if uh memory serves <laughs> oh well yeah no, I have he, no problem. He, he didn't nope. he, he didn't he didn't really make it uh he didn't really try to hide his evidence either. I mean, he, he he was he was totally out about it. And yeah, you know, like I was, I didn't have too much accuracy. Yeah, couple <laughs> got like, away right. from me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't care. I mean, yeah, you, like you guys said, yeah. Let's not go for the head. I mean, you you might, I, I don't know. Just, let's let's not go for the head. Let's go for anywhere else though. I'm I'm down to hit him. Yeah. I I personally could hit him in the head with seventy poo, and it won't really do much to him. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. you know, Joe Kelly, you gotta gotta slow it down a little bit there. But thank you for taking a stand of what the Yankees won't be able to do until the playoffs this year. So thank you for that, Joe Kelly. All right. So in terms of the eight game suspension, what do you got, Cody? Well, I mean, it, it was interesting because, like, like I said earlier, it, it equates out to twenty two to twenty four games in a hundred and sixty two game season, and that's I want to say that's one of the more lengthy suspensions that we've seen in the in the past for something like this. And I mean, Manfred said that his past uh, history of throwing at people and hitting people went into this, but I mean, I don't know. Eight games for me seems like a little bit much considering he didn't hit either of them. <laughs> yeah. He, he just threw at them. And then after he threw at Correa, he struck him out. So, I mean, eight games oh, is a lot for face. me. Cater, <laughs> yeah. what do you think? Eight games? 
Point games, obviously, you know, you don't usually hear too many of that of that length for a reliever. And I think the reason that he gave him the eight games in such a shortened season is because back in February, Rob Manford came out and said, "Listen, there will be no." We, baseball will not tolerate vigilante injustice for, against the Astros. He, it's open like out there. He openly said that. So he's protecting him to a certain extent again by not allowing people to throw at him to get their pound of flesh, so to speak. So the eight games was that was Rob saying, hey, remember me in February saying that we're not going to allow this and you openly defied it? There's your eight games. Who's next? Because it's going to happen yeah. again. You know somebody else is going to throw at him. Yeah. Yeah, they might try to hide it a little more that, to avoid the suspension. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't yeah. know. I, I honestly have one word for the eight game suspension. It's soft. I think it's really soft. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Rob Manfred. I think terms, I think as terms of suspension, I, I, I think if anything, he should be condoned for that. I think he should be given a hundred thousand bonus or something like that. <laughs> at least, at least from like the Yankees or the, Dodgers pay pay Joe Kelly. I mean, now I kind of want him to be a part of our squad now. I mean, sorry Tyler Austin, but I mean this guy <laughs> the, the, kind of gave me CC Sabathi vibes. He didn't shy away from yep. it, and even, even when they even when they kind of you know went after him and the the media went after him, he didn't really shy away. He told him what <laughs> he didn't exactly say. Yeah, I tried to hit him because Ma- Rob Manfred probably would have suspended him for the rest of his life, but he he did he did say you know like <laughs> I'm not gonna say I wasn't trying. So right. All right. So, all right, Cater and Cody, great stuff from the both of you. Thank you for coming on the show and providing your opinions and thoughts on this MLB season. Always fun. Looking forward to seeing how this season will turn out. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Kyle. Kyle. Thanks, for, Thanks having for having us. Okay, time to bring in some more firepower. Here we got Jimmy Miller from Saugerties, New York, and Trevor <laughs> from Bethlehem, New York. Guys, we just touched on Joe Kelly and the Dodgers throwing at the Astros, but I want to get more into this. Those who aren't aware of the situation, Tuesday night the LA Dodgers and Houston Astros faced off for the first time since the cheating scandal was released and the so laughable punishments were given. Joe Kelly of the Dodgers started the inning off by forcing Altuve into a fly out. Kelly then threw a fastball 96 miles per hour behind the head of Alex Bregman on a 3-0 count. Following that, he worked a fielder's choice to Brantley, then a breaking ball high and into Gary L, which I'm convinced slipped. Ended up walking Gary L, brought up Carlos Correa. He went fastball high and in over Correa's head, who ducked out of the way and prayed for his life. Kelly went on to strike Correa out. They exchanged words on the way back to the dugout, and Kelly dropped a hilarious pouty face on Correa, too. So the bench is cleared, just some more jabbing went on, and that was basically it. So before we get into the suspensions and the MLB's reactions, what do you guys make of Joe Kelly's actions Tuesday night? In my opinion, Kelly is completely... In the right, I think he's the first pitcher we've seen take action against the Astros. You know, even though he wasn't on the team in 2017 with the Dodgers, he was still on the Red Sox. I still think he's just as mad as everyone else is. Um, so in my opinion, I love it. I love the move, um, as, especially as a Yankee fan, as someone who feels like the Astros cheated the Yankees out of a World Series. I'm all in favor of it. Uh, gotcha. I don't know about you guys, but I love it. Love the move. Jimmy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent on it. I, I don't think it was intentional. Joe <laughs> Kelly's o- always been very wild. You look at his walks per nine. He's averaged about four walks per nine the past five years, and uh, the MLB average is just under three. So, I mean, he's all over the place. I think that he just started to go along with it. I, I don't think he intended to hit them, but 
I think after seeing how the fans would react, I think he just went along with it. I don't know. That's my opinion on it. I think I think he jumped out of the gate a little wild, but I definitely think he planned on throwing at one or two of those guys, mm-hmm. Jimmy. I, he was he was a part of the Red Sox team that got beat by the the Astros, and then he was a part of the Dodgers team that got beat by the Astros. So I definitely think. It's a little bit of a hot take there to say that you don't think it was intentional. I'm going to say it was intentional. I'm going to see, I'm going to say pretty much the same thing as Trevor. Just however, I've said this before. I don't know about throwing at the head. I think aim for the ribs or lower and just go at them like that. The head, the head's a little bit, uh, scary, Trevor. What do you think about going for the head? As someone who's only intentionally thrown at one person in my entire life, it, it was, it's, it's back. You don't go anything higher than the shoulders. It's kind of bush league, which, I see why the Astros are pissed. That's the only reason I give the Astros for being pissed at it, is that he went for the head twice. I mean, we know that Joe Kelly's very wild. We've seen it. He broke his own window at his house while he was throwing over quarantine. But I'm not a fan of the head, but I am a fan of going at the Astros. I mean, I'll get into that later with the suspensions and everything. The head's a no. Uh, Anything about the shoulders is nothing for me, especially as with Giancarlo Stanton. You saw how it affected him and... Well, you guys, you guys are both pitchers, so yeah. I, Jimmy, what do you think about the head? I've n- I've never really uh, thrown with the head. If I did, I'm sure they have enough time to get away because I don't throw hard at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think going for the head is wrong. I really don't think he intended to go after their head. I mean, if he can't pinpoint strikes on how he's going to pinpoint and hit somebody in the back, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I got very you wild, you know. So announced on Wednesday afternoon, Joe Kelly was handed an eight-game suspension by Major League Baseball for intentionally throwing. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts was issued a one-game suspension, and Houston's new skipper Dusty Baker was fined an undisclosed amount. So an eight-game suspension is equal to 13% of the season, equivalent to 21 games in a 162-game stint, so pretty harsh. Now, Kelly does have some history here. He did hit and then fight Tyler Austin of the Yankees in April 2018 when Kelly was with the Red Sox. He was handed a six-game suspension for that. Kelly quoted after the Astros-Dodgers game, my accuracy isn't the best. So I don't think he hit away from the fact that it was intentional. So, Trevor, is the eight-game suspension too harsh? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. The eight-game suspension is 13% of this year. No pitcher has ever received a 20-game suspension for throwing at someone or getting in a fight. So I think the MLB didn't take into account how much it equivalents or it equivalates to. But that's literally just my opinion. I don't know how factual that is. But I think the eight-game suspension is absolutely ridiculous. And backing off that, with the MLB not suspending any Astros after the cheating scandal, and then now they're going to take action against people that they're basically protecting the Astros, even though they know it's going to happen. I don't know. It's wild to me. I I don't get it. I'm on the backs of Mike Clevenger and Marcus Stroman. They've been tweeting out about it how they're protecting the Astros, and I think MLB, the players have a right to be pissed off. I think it's terrible. I think they've handled it poorly. Um, Manfred is making a joke out of this league. Yeah, it's Agreed. it's sad. Agreed. Jimmy, what do you got? Totally agree with all that. Um, I don't know, like I said, I'm kind of indifferent on it. I do think, though, I mean, as, as a starter, if you were getting eight-game suspension, he would, wouldn't really hurt him much. He'd miss a start. As a reliever, eight games is a lot. That's He, he comes out of the pen a lot. He's not just like an occasional like specialist, you know I mean? He could potentially miss four or five games worth of pitching, which I mean, that's that, that's very bad for him. Very bad for stats. It could, uh, especially in yeah, the that's short big. season, it could affect him. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think eight games was ridiculous. I touched on this a little bit earlier, so I won't get too much into it. But eight games is ridiculous. I think, like you said, Trevor, Rob Manfred's made a joke out of the league. Ever since he called the trophy a piece of metal, I think that's where I lost all respect for him. Because that's what guys work for all their life, and that's what he hands over every single at the end of every single year. So it's crazy to me. I think it's way too harsh. It, and we'll get into a little bit Justin Verlander here. It's kind of disgusting to even talk about what Rob Manfred did for uh, – the Astros, it's almost like he's working with them, especially since the time that the players weren't even. Actually, no, let's stay on the Astros a little bit here. Trevor, what do you think? What do you think about what's good with the Rob Manfred Astros thing? Do you, why aren't, why weren't players given any suspensions? Do you think this is just gonna, is this gonna keep going? Is this gonna be something that we're gonna see for the rest of this season and into the next with the Astros? Or is this thing over now? No, it, it has to carry over in my opinion. They're only facing a third of the league this year. You know, yeah. so the two-thirds of those other teams aren't getting their shot. I know I was looking very forward to the Yankee series at home in September. Obviously, we're not going to get a chance for that to happen. Hopefully, the Astros end up suffering from Justin Verlander missing time, and they get the seventh seed, and Brian Cashman says, give me their next, and that's who they have to play in the first round of the playoffs this year. Um, especially with the new playoff format. I don't know if you've touched on that uh, about it, but I know I think this is the year they get to pick yep. uh, who they play. I'm hoping the Yankees just say, give me the Astros, and they have to come to New York for three games. Even though there's no fans, it's still yeah. going to be a bloodbath, in my opinion. I think Garrett Cole has very bad intentions when it comes to that. I don't think he likes that organization after they, the way they treated him in Game 7 last year. I know Judge is not happy. Stanton's not happy, and if there's one team I wouldn't want to mess with, it's the Yankees. Jimmy, what do you think? Is this thing over? I don't know. I, I really, I, I don't think it's over. I totally agree. Like, like Trevor said, there's a lot of teams that haven't gotten there, not going to get their crack at the uh, the Astros this year. So I expect it to go into next year. I'm sure Manfred will put some more tough suspensions in the, in the rules through the off season to try to mediate that, but I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, no, I definitely don't think this is over. And like Trevor said, you're only facing one third of the league and hopefully we'll be able to meet up with the Astros this postseason because mm-hmm. it, you know what honestly sucks is the fact that we won't have CC Sabathia because I think it, I think if anyone's more pissed off at the Astros than anyone else in the league, it's probably CC Sabathia. He came out on his podcast and pretty much said everything that he did and or he would do if he got to see the Astros again. So mm-hmm. it sucks that we won't be able to see that. But yeah, definitely, this thing's not over and it's going to continue on for a long time. All right, we're out of time here. We got to wrap things up. I want to thank you guys, Jimmy and Trevor, for joining the show and giving your respective opinions. Thank you guys. Thank you everyone for tuning into episode three, Bubble Time. You're listening to the Press Box. We'll catch you next time. Peace.